Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get them back to, back to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hey, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble. I am Chuck Lefine, your host, and with me today in virtual studio is my co-host, Carl the Atheist. How are you doing, KTA? Doing great, Chuck. Good stuff, good stuff. And a returning and, and special guest is Mike Miller from the Yatra Treatment Center out in Phuket, Thailand. Welcome back, Mike. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Chuck. Good, 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 good. Nice to be back. Ah, yeah, nice to have you. That's for certain. So, um, the last week, uh, week and a half, really, I guess now, uh, we've had, you know, there hasn't been much out in the way of Ashes to Awesome, and, and I had some really serious tech issues. We seem to have sorted that out now, so we're trying to get back into a regular um, release schedule. That said, there's some changes to be had, and the first one, I guess, to talk about would be the format of the weekend ramble. So, up until now, for anybody that hasn't been paying attention, we go back and we, we look at the week previous and kind of critique the week, if you will. And, and we do it in great detail with a panelist of uh, three or four of us on here. And I've decided now to kind of change that up a little bit where we will definitely go back and critique the week, just not in as much detail and as, as much length. We're going to start bringing in guests who are professionals as much as we can or, or at least have some very lived experience and, and talk about uh, recovery and, and some of the, the issues surrounding it, AKA, or, or not AKA, um, such as um, harm reduction, uh, which we're gonna do today. I, I think we're gonna talk about that. Um, before we get into that though, I would like to discuss the one episode that we did get out last week and, and that was uh, Kaleidoscope Wednesday with Ryan Bathgate. Um, this was an interesting week for him. The week previous, he'd had a very rough week in, in the way of, uh, uh, his personal life, he, he kind of fell into a funk, if you want to call it that. And then this week, he'd come back from it. And, and so we got to talk about the process in that for him and what that meant. And now, Carl, if you want to make some mentions on that real quick. Well, the one thing I like is the daddy-daughter date. Uh, <laughs> right, of course I, I have, you would. I have those with my, my daughter. Um, yeah. yeah. We haven't had one in some time, but, uh, you know, when they get up to 19, 20 years old, they... <laughs> they don't want to go to movies with dad as often so no 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 way. Um, right. you know it's definitely a good way to to get reconnected with your children is to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with them without the other parents and without the other siblings and and just mm -hmm. you know enjoy their company and, and get to know who they are as a person and uh you know it doesn't matter what age they are whether they're you know a four-year-old or a 20-year-old you know uh you think you know your kids but when you get yeah. them alone, it uh, you, you really start to understand them a, more as a person as opposed to your offspring. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I really liked that he did that. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, find some some inspiration there to maybe knock one of those daddy daughter dates off when you when you get a chance? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, she's out of town right now, as as she usually is, but. Uh, yeah, when she gets back, hopefully she gets back before Stampede's over. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hit up uh, the final weekend. Ah, there you go, there you go. Stampede week. It's my first time, you know, first Stampede week back in Calgary. No urge whatsoever to go. 
no, I, I, for me personally, I, I don't think it plays well into uh, to living a sober life. So, right? while well, Stampy rarely does, but um, especially this fresh into <laughs> sobriety, it's not an environment I think I want to go spend a lot of time in. Right. So, yeah. I started smoking again at the Stampede Beer Gardens. <laughs> Eight, 18 months without smoking a cigarette, found myself in the beer gardens at the Stampede and full time smoker again. So, yeah, there you go. Goddamn Stampede, right? Yeah, definitely yeah. avoid. Did you ever make but, it to a Stampede, Mike, when you were in Canada? Um, I did. I was uh, in my past life, just before I got clean, I had a little production company and I was um, hired on as a filmer for a skateboard tour through Western Canada. And we went oh. through Calgary and ended up there for the Stampede Week. And uh, as I was not clean yet, it's a bit of a blur. I remember the skate park, um, but I don't remember <laughs> much else. I remember a lot of cowboys <laughs> and cowboy-esque sort of people. Yeah, cow- which, I was you know, cowboy-esque. A- yeah, yeah. It's not really cowboys yeah. per se. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it was not exactly my element as a kid who grew up in the punk rock skateboarding addiction sort of world. It was a bit sort of like a fish out of water, but, you know, nothing yeah. untoward happened. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> wasn't really sort of my my comfort zone if we'll put it that way i think i think if i was going to call stampede something different 10 days of untoward would be pretty much accurate you know <laughs> as far as my behavior went in the, my my stampede days jesus we had some fun but ooh, right yeah mm. hey, carl was there for a lot of those days actually <laughs> I'm just... I, remember, I remember the one year we went every single day we right? go every, the, yeah yeah we yeah. go early to get the stamp so then we could go go to work and then get in free admission at the end of the day <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sit yeah, on yeah. Scotchman's Hill and watch the fireworks. Uh, I do miss that. I do miss that. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to get out there actually at some point during maybe next weekend when you're in, you know, when you're not working, we can go hit that up or something. Maybe that'd be kind of cool. I don't think you can get to our spot anymore, but no. Yeah. No, it's all fenced off. You're not supposed to be there. We weren't supposed to be there either, but whatever. No. Right? <laughs> we were 20. So <laughs> it never stopped us from doing anything. Pieces of fireworks landing on us. So <laughs> literally, actually, literally. We were so close, Mike, that the yeah, they were landing on us. Remember your cousin had one up on the wall there for, for quite some time that, that had fallen on us, eh? Yeah. yeah landed on the blanket. <laughs> Anywho, anywho. Um, I, back to the Ryan thing. Anything else you want to cover on that one? I, well, I mean, there is quite a bit to cover on that. I, I just don't want to pick it apart there too much. There was, uh, you know, the one thing I really wanted to touch on was uh, the question from Rob in Edmonton. Okay. Yep. Um, Refresh my I mean, memory. Uh, well, I have the question written out, so I'll read it to you. Um, mm-hmm. What if there are real consequences attached to a thought of a possible outcome that is out of your control, but still dominates your thoughts. It's a waste of energy, but so worrisome that it can consume someone and, and in turn make worse decisions and it piles up and eats a person alive. I feel like I already know the answer to a degree, but how does somebody light the fire under their ass? Okay. And I think, uh, my biggest takeaway that Ryan said is, you know, and he always says this is the future is unwritten. Um, so, you know, one of, one of the things that I, I excel at is not getting upset about things that have already happened, um, because you can't change what's happened. It's already been done. But the, the one thing I think I really need to improve on is to quit worrying about the future because it hasn't been written. Um, you know, it's easy to forget the past and, and move on with that. Um, 
but you know, you always have that, uh, you know, anxiety and anxiety is fear and fear is lack of information. Um, yep. so if you can wrap your head around that, um, you know, it, it will alleviate a lot of those, uh, uh, like th those, that, that Anxiety. worry that's consuming yep. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I like that, uh, he, he brought up the effort, commitment, environment, and perception, yep. you know, the four things that you can control, right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing effort wise? How are you setting up the unwritten future to be written in a way that you can influence it? And I, I really like that one because that's, a. Uh, that's something that I took out of a leadership course once uh, was, you know, leadership is the art of influencing human behavior to accomplish a mission in the manner desired by that leader. Um, and, and I think if you, if you can, you know, influence your path, I mean, you can't influence the future so much, but you can influence what you're uh, perceiving, uh, you know, what effort you have, what commitment you have to changing it and, and the environment that you're putting yourself in. I, th I think that you're going to be a lot more successful. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. One of his big ones is uh, the anxiety into excitement. You know, we kind of covered that a couple of weeks ago, but I love, I love that attitude and, and, and how you can, how you can really can, right? Cause it, it's, it is, it's about the, an unwritten future. So, you know, mm -hmm. all right. Um, I think all in, he, he did a really good job of that. And listeners, go back and take a listen. Uh, episodes 135 and 137 are the two. <clears throat> That's how much work I didn't get done, right? Oh, geez. Um, in between there, there should be six more numbers in between. He uh, he did a great job of, of, you know, A, being vulnerable the week before, you know, on, on you know, in a live way or on the show. And then, you know, kind of explaining how to come back from that on the next one. I think it was a great real, real life case, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, I see you sitting over there nodding your head in that. Uh, of course, you didn't listen to the episode. I, I asked you literally 12 hours ago if you wanted to come onto the show. So, <laughs> so I could completely yeah. understand. Um, is there anything you want to speak to that as a, as a general mindset or, or frame of mind? And, you know? um, sure. Well, I, I don't disagree with any of that stuff. Um, about, you know, I come from a place of um, cognitive behavioral therapy when it comes to, like, the perceptions and the anxiety and everything. And, and um, you know, it's a real way to check your thinking and then get into more effective behaviors, et cetera. Um, I was taught really early in my recovery, plan your work and work your plan and kind of like control what you can. Um, you know, so make your plan and, and work towards it. And you can only influence what you can influence. You can't, there's a lot of stuff you can't control worrying about it. You know, easy to say worrying about it doesn't, yeah. isn't very uh, worthwhile and it's a bit of a waste of time. Like, but how do I stop that from doing it? And so um, cognitive behavioral therapy to sort of challenge my thinking, dispute it, get into more effective behaviors. And those behaviors include things like regulating the nervous system. So some breathing, some mindfulness, that kind of stuff that can help alleviate so that the, the physiological symptoms of anxiety, like where you get yeah. like that heart race and all heart rate racing and all that. So um, yeah, I think it's good. One of the things like just speaking really quickly, even though yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch, I didn't watch or listen to the episode, but that, yeah. that, um, daddy daughter date, like I'm a guy who, um, didn't get the father son stuff. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it played a big role in me ending up where I ended up as far as like, you know, attachment disorders, um, 
you know, having, having difficulty with relationships and confidence and feeling lovable and all of that kind of stuff and like forming beliefs about myself and um, having insecure attachment and anxious, anxious attachment in relationships. So, you know, I'd like to say that him doing that is, is a lot bigger than like a day out. You know what I mean? Like this is like influencing um, his daughter's future in having her father present. So um, that's that's a pretty massive thing, and and I think it's admirable, and uh, I'm glad he's doing it. And it's good for both both. Of, it's good for him as well, right? But huge for her, is, yeah. even though. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, excuse me. Okay, so moving on. Um, harm reduction, and I think like a real hot topic right now is the uh, mandated treatment kind of uh, mentality, and I don't know how in the loop you are on that, and what's happening on this side of the pond, but. Um, there's some big things happening, especially in Alberta right now, right? So are, are you up to date on that stuff, Mike? Or? A little bit. I mean, I've had um, <clears throat> a little bit of, of conversations with it. I have, I have a friend of mine that works, has a sort of addiction services, um, does interventions and treatment placement and stuff in British Columbia. And, and we talk about all things sort of treatment and addiction and recovery related pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so we've, we've touched base on it. Um, so, I, I mean... And I am never short of opinions, <laughs> so you know, I'll try, try to keep them as informed as I possibly can. But, um, you know, it's, it's something when I got clean, I got clean in a 12-step place. And I started working in a 12-step place and, um, you know, it was like abstinence was the way to go. And that's what I needed in my life. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, maintain that abstinence till today. Um, and when I started going to school and started learning and they were bringing up stuff, you know, so this might be around 2005 and they're talking about harm reduction, like I had a real hard time kind of wrapping my head around it and thinking it was like enabling and all the kind of stuff that goes with it. Mm -hmm. um, and now, now it's evolved, you know, like with the like mandated treatment and everything is like a whole other aspect that wasn't around back then. And yeah, so I, I have, I've had some struggles around the harm reduction stuff, but I think I've, my, my thinking's probably evolved a bit around it as well. Okay. Okay. Um, Carl, I'm sure you can remember when you showed me that news story about uh, mandated treatment. Still not a fan. No, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, 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 under I understand it. Um, mm -hmm. And as long as it's used in the same way that um, being committed works, um, for people that, you know, may be schizophrenic or bipolar and, and, and are really, um, in trouble of creating harm either to themselves or their immediate surroundings. And now, like, I understand, okay, addiction is harm, right? Like you are harming your body with these drugs and that, um, and, and there is always the potential for death. Uh, you know, even, even if you don't, you know, if, if you're getting heroin, I mean, there's always been heroin overdoses, you know, there's, you know, it doesn't have to be spiked with fentanyl for that to happen. Um, but I, I think like, like real harm is, you know, uh, the guy that's getting wired and walking down the street with a machete. Um, may, yeah. Maybe it is time for him to be forced into treatment. Um, but then, you know, I haven't, I haven't read a lot about what that looks like. Is that just going to be them putting him in detox for, you know, six weeks and then saying, there you go. Now you're not hurting anyone. Have a nice day. 
Um, is there going to be continuing care? Are there going to be halfway houses before treatment? You know, you can't just go detox, see in six weeks or nine weeks. And, you know, by the way, you know, if you don't stay sober, you got to go back and start this whole process again. Um, mm -hmm. I would really have to see more about what their plan is. I am happy with how the UCP is putting more money into treatment centers. Um, and they are getting rid of some harm reduction services, but such as I don't care. Okay, I'm not on the loop on this. So, well, well they've closed down some, uh, safe injection sites, um, mm -hmm. and they've turned them into uh, mobile safe injection sites. So it's like an old okay. city bus now, right? So that, you know, it can, uh, it can, you know, basically pull up in an area, you know, near tent town, right under the bridge there. And, uh, you know, they can have, have people inject safely there as opposed to putting them into, uh, communities where, you know, everyone's that, you know, oh yes, we want to see these safe injection sites. Oh, but I don't want it down the street from my house. That's not my backyard mentality, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so they, they have closed a few of those, uh, I believe, I, I hope I'm not mis misspeaking on this. If I am somebody hit us up in the <laughs> comments, let me know how wrong I am. Yeah. Um, but they are putting more into treatment than harm reduction. Um, now, hopefully they're looking for a balance for that. Um, but again, nobody has all the answers. Nobody has figured this out yet. So the fact that they're taking steps. And different I steps. Guess, right? And different We're steps. We're not just going to repeat what British Columbia has done in Alberta and hope that it works out differently for us. You know, okay, we've seen right. that that didn't work the way that everybody wanted it to. So we're going to do something different. I, I like that personally. Yeah. I want to touch so, on, on a specific, now that you said it, Carl, the safe injection sites. Mike, what are your opinions on that theme, that idea? Well, um, the the name is like, traditionally they've been called supervised injection sites because injecting okay. isn't safe, right? Um, ah, okay. You know, yeah. like yeah. Carl said, like you can overdose from heroin, you can overdose from coke, meth, whatever you name it, right? You don't mm -hmm. need fentanyl in it. But, um, you know, there's a lot of statistics out there. So I, I think part of the thing about this is like, um, harm reduction is much more than supervised injection sites, like giving out like crack kits and that kind of stuff. Like it's like, um, helping people get to appointments, it's foot baths, it's socks, it's like warm clothes. It's like all kinds of different things. Um, but the thing that gets really sort of like brought up and, and, and sort of gets driven through fear. It, like it gets really amplified, like, oh, it's safe injection sites and it's this and that. And like, if you have a supervising or if you have a safe injection site, the kid from the suburbs is going to go, oh, now I can go and shoot dope. And like that, there's no evidence that that stuff happens, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. also, like, I know people personally in my life that if they weren't at a supervised injection site would be dead. Like they've been revived there. They're, the supervised injection sites have zero death. You know what I mean? Like it's right. Yeah. That's that people are using anyway. now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. then, so what, what kind of drives the, the fear about it? Is it still attached to the moral model of addiction, which is that addicts are bad people, weak willed, immoral sinners that need to be punished and all that stuff. Not the, mm -hmm. what they claim to be following, which is the medical model, which would be like, well, they're unwell and we need to provide them treatment. Right. Um, yeah. You know, they, they really now treatment is also a, a continuum too. And, Treatment isn't just residential treatment. 
there's outpatient, there's intensive outpatient, um, there's like therapy, there's all kinds of different things. There's 12 step, there's other mutual self-help groups like refuge recovery. Um, you know, treatment should be given to um, higher levels of treatment should go to people that have more severe uh, symptoms, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I can't remember if we were talking about this before, but a couple of weeks ago, um, two of my friends that were big in kind of the punk rock scene in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, both died um, on the same day, not together. Um, they had both had varying sort of uh, degrees of abstinence and all that kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. they weren't um, suitable for being leveraged into treatment, like mandated yeah. treatment, because they weren't like down on your luck, you know, out running around committing crimes and doing all that. They were people that were struggling kind of had their shit together at different times. And then they both went and sort of relapsed and they both died. Now, if they had a safe supply, they would both be alive, most likely, right? Um, Good point. But then you get into safe supply and then it gets into that moral thing of like, well, now we're giving dr drugs to drug addicts and that's a terrible idea. But, you know, every government run liquor store is safe supply. And and it's just, we don't, why don't we have this? Yeah. Why don't we have a moral objection to that when actually the harm done to society to families to our healthcare costs through alcohol oh dwarfs yeah. illicit yeah. drug yeah. use without so, a doubt so what's yeah. happened is like the sort of majority of people that can sit morally um thinking that they're above the fray of addiction they like alcohol so they're like, no, no, that's a cool one. And we're going to supply that safely. No, you know, why don't they just make those people go back to bathtub gin and say, if we're not going to do safe supply at all, we're not going to do it. You know, um, for me, like, it's such a complex problem. And people try to come up with really simple answers, like, uh, give everyone drugs, too simple. Uh, don't give anyone drugs, too simple. Make everyone go to treatment, too simple. Like, not everyone needs rehab. Um, and from someone who's worked in the treatment industry in inpatient, outpatient, medical monitoring with addictions, doctors, occupational health, um, all kinds of stuff for the last 20 years almost, people getting leveraged into treatment mm -hmm. isn't always successful. And actually, a lot of times they're not motivated. Like the guy that Carl's talking about, like, you know, you kind of get them sectioned, if you will, committed yep. into treatment like you think that guy's going in and be like oh let me give it my all and like i'm really gonna come Hell get no. the best Hell out of this no. like right well nope. maybe some people mm. do but they don't all and and it depends on what kind of residential treatment are they providing are they providing mm. evidence-based stuff that includes pharma pharmacological interventions and actual therapy or are they getting you sitting down and doing like stuff that you can get in the community for free, like 12 step stuff, which is fine. But why would you, yeah. the government pay thousands of dollars to house someone to do 12 step stuff when they could literally just rent them an apartment for hundreds of dollars and send them to meetings. So, you know, like yeah. Yeah. it, to me, it has to be evidence-based. It has to be like, if you're going to spend this money to leverage people into treatment, make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. people yeah. cry about where the money goes. Oh, we gave all this money for cocaine to drug addicts and all, you know, that shit. And fair enough. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. not a, that's not out of line to have that sort of attitude about it. But then we go, oh, well, we'll spend thousands of dollars. I know there's like recovery houses in the, in the Vancouver area that charge the same price that I charge, uh, that mm -hmm. we charge at our trauma center. And we're like on the ocean in Thailand with a steam room and a lap pool. And, you know, like it's a pretty <laughs> luxurious place. Damn near concierge they, and, service, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're, you know, and, and, you know, we, we obviously not everyone 
can come to our place. And I get that there's, we have a certain market, um, mm-hmm. but th- these people are sharing rooms and getting like macaroni and cheese for lunch and they're, and the government is paying for that treatment. And so I just think like, you know, if, if you're going to invest in it, invent, like do it evidence-based. But the thing about evidence-based is that some of what drives this whole treatment thing is the, the sort of lobbying arm of the abstinence-based um, treatment recovery houses and that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, if you, if I can convince the government that they should hire me <laughs> to do this stuff, like I'm like laughing, yeah, but, but, right. but if I do that, I should be able to provide evidence that it actually works. And I'm not talking five to 10%. I should be able to provide evidence that this um, better does than better half, than but... treatment. Yeah. Better yeah. than no treatment, better than treatment as usual. It should be an mm-hmm. improvement on what's happening. And I don't know that that's what's happening. I, I'm, you know, I have my ideas about that, but I don't have stats in front of me or anything. I just think that, like, if if you're going to come out punching, like, swinging at one of these models, then your model better be able to be deconstructed and stand up to some scrutiny. And you yeah. better be able to, like, question it. And it shouldn't just be like, well, that way sucks, so we should do this way. It's like, but but does is your way better? Like, show us that it is or it isn't. Because, you know... I worked in lots of recovery places where people would come in, do complete treatment episodes of a month or two months, and then they just go get loaded. Like that's not an uncommon thing. And that's like thousands of dollars. And it's like, was that a a worthwhile investment? And then there's people like me, the government, government of British Columbia paid for me to get clean. And I've been Mm -hmm. clean for, for 20 years and contributing member of society since. So like they got their money's worth with me, but does that balance it? I don't know. Like, I just don't know. That kind of, I think it's something that we've talked about in, in a few episodes over the course of the show. There is no one size fits all period. And, and mm. we can all agree to that. I think mm. mandated treatment and, and here I am, I generally, typically I try not to inject my opinions into the conversations because I'm supposed to be Switzerland. Right. But I think mandated treatment has a place so long as it's done, you know, and with a lot of protocol and, you know, speaking to what KTA was saying, you know, it's not just a cop saying, okay, you're in, you're, that's it. You're in for mandated treatment, right? There's, there has to be, you know, medical professionals involved in making that decision and sectioning them or, or, you know, committing them or or whatever the term you want to use is for that. I think, I think if you could do that, then maybe you've got something to work with there. And for me personally, when that, that news story first came out that that Carl showed me, I was guns blazing, but it was made because news is news, you know, and, and they, they need to invoke emotion if they want to keep their jobs. Um, it was it was presented in such a way that, like, I honestly believe that that was, oh, cops are going to just be able to say, okay, you're going to treatment center, you know? And, of course, Lisa, being Lisa, and, and you know, who's, who's not here today, so this is our first weekend away from the weekend ramble since she started. So um, she she was the one that kind of said, no, it's it's not like that. It's more compared to, like, a case of a schizophrenic or or something like that, that, you know, that, that's, at, that's at risk. So I think opinions kind of need to be reserved so we see exactly what they are doing but she certainly opened my mind to the idea a lot more with that right so but i think that was a good the, thing the biggest problem i would have with that is uh just allowing rcmp or city police to make the determination on whether or not Which, it can't be a thing right it just can't right be, yeah period, it, i right? mean it has to be a healthcare professional that makes that decision yeah. or or the family if if that person is a minor Mm-hmm. Right. If uh, mm-hmm. in Alberta, it's 18. Right. So if you're a 17 year old and, uh, you know, you're, you're nodding out in your bedroom and your parents are afraid that you're going to, you know, cause harm to either, you know, the other, other children in the house or the parents themselves or yourself, uh, yeah. 
then maybe they should be able to say, okay, this is going to, this is happening now. This isn't a mm-hmm. option. Um, and, 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 and with assistance of a healthcare provider as well, that can make that determination to say, you know what, you are right. This is something that we need to do to save this person's life. Um, mm-hmm. but just, you know, having an angry cop that's, you know, arrested the same guy 10 times and, and he's high, but he's not really causing anybody harm other than, you know, maybe some disturbing the peace or some petty theft or, you know, stuff like that. And then the cop just saying, I don't want to deal with this guy. Let's put him in for, you know, it's like, ugh. and, and yeah. I, I realized not all cops are like that. And I'm probably the wrong person to you know talk about it because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the way policing is done. Um, but, uh, I, I think it all really boils down to the lack of services that are provided to people prior to the addiction, um, which brings us to healthcare. Uh, they call it healthcare, but it's not healthcare, it's body care. Uh, mm-hmm. They're taking care of your body. You know, you cut your finger, they'll stitch it to stitch it back together. You know, you break your leg, they'll set your leg. Um, you know, you have a mental disorder, that's $160 an hour on your own dime. And, you know, it's like, why, why isn't healthcare, why doesn't that include your brain? Why doesn't it yeah. include, yeah. you know, right now they're making steps federally to, you know, include dental into healthcare, which is amazing. Like, of course it should be right. Cause dental mm-hmm. health is huge. Uh, you know, it, uh, dental health as, as Chuck knows, right? Like we didn't do video <laughs> when Chuck didn't have his teeth. Mm-hmm. Now he went through dent kits. He got his teeth. He's happier. He's, uh, he's more out there. So, you know, like taking care of your body, self-care is, is mm-hmm. going to, you know, is going to make you a, 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 not a better citizen. Um, that, that's the wrong terminology. I don't know the proper wording for it, but uh, I'm sure everybody gets my <laughs> happier for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah like yeah. You, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be, you know, you're going to come out of your shell more. Um, and I think if, if, if we offer these mental health services to people when they are in middle school, you know, maybe they can, you know, before they get to that point in, you know, junior high or high school where they're starting to experiment with drugs and that maybe, you know, if we get rid of those underlying, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the best uh, at, at speaking about this, but Mike, I think this is right that, in your lane. Um, something least before we get to of, that, Carl, I'm going to interrupt you before we get to that. Um, okay. It just reminded me that we do have to take a commercial break. So I'm going to do that real quick. And when we come back, we'll get into this some more. Okay. Perfect. Okay. And awkward silence. Okay. There we are. Okay. <laughs> I just don't know if I should talk or not. You can see why you reminded me to make that commercial happen there, Carl. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, and before you throw it over to Mike, I just wanted to say, um, it's one of the things that I really picked up on that Lisa said, and I, I'm, I'm probably going back four or five weeks now. And it was uh, when she was talking to a friend of hers, I believe, uh, about the addictions. And, and she said, you know, 
these people didn't make any choices that are different than you did. You know, like when we were in our twenties, we went, you know, we went to the bar and everybody did a rail in the bathroom. You want better here, Carl? But then all of us, yeah, go ahead. That would be the quote you're talking about, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> that is the exact quote. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you had that yeah. queued up because I didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> right, right. Like I, I do that to Ryan all the time, right? He'll say something just profound. I'll be like, but did you hear what Ryan said about the thing and the stuff and the what have you? I mean, yeah, like that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly that, right? They all yeah. made the same choices, but some people, you know, were mm-hmm. predisposed to it, whether through mental health or uh, through their uh, family situation. So try and dip it in the ass before that, right? Yeah. Before, middle, before we get to that point. Middle school is a great, right? you know, great place to start. Yeah, yeah, true story. Mike, your thoughts? Oh man, I got I got a lot of thoughts. Um, I know you do. I know I, you I, do. Yeah, I'm starting to figure out, Mike. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to be better at breaking you up a little bit, like I am with Ryan. So that's I'm. Yeah, but we're, we're learning. We're learning, right? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I like what she said. I mean, again, what what she's saying is like people again see things through the the moral model, where it's like, oh, you know, you did the thing because there's something wrong with you. And I did it and there's nothing wrong with me. So I'm fine. You know, like it's a way to place yourself above them and other people, you know, but I think that like you can't separate physical, mental, emotional, like it's all part and parcel. Like I know this, if I feel sick, my thinking starts to become a bit more negative. Mm -hmm. Then my emotions are a bit more negative. Like I don't feel as good. Like you can't, you can't separate all of that stuff. So when we go, oh, well, we're going to fix your cut finger, as Carl said, but we're not going to teach you any kind of coping skills. And, you know, this is where it gets a little like, sorry, I'm a, I'm a lefty, bleeding heart, liberal therapist. Um, the capitalism is designed to grind people up. It's not to take care of any of our health. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, if you don't get a return on your investment, then, then the system doesn't see you as being worthwhile, whether if that's mental health, et cetera. Now, what we do know is that when you invest in people's mental health, you do get a return on the investment as society because A, you stop being a drag on society. You're not being policed. You're not in probation. You're not in court. You're not in the psych ward. You're not in that kind of stuff. Um, And and you're not doing crime and do, you know, if you get well, right? I mean, particularly Mm -hmm. if we're talking about addiction, but at no point is that ever, there's no preventative stuff. Like, you know, I, I went to school and what did I learn? I learned how to, you know, go and be a worker. I didn't learn how to have relationships or how to set boundaries or, you know, anything. One of, one of my trainers talks about, um, he says addiction, this is his quote. It's 
um, a substitute behavior for attachment deprivation. And so um, if we, if we can look at it, that it's, you know, or like Matt A says, you know, like, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. Like, if we know that that's what's driving it, people who work in this field know that that's what's driving it. Why aren't we doing anything preventative around the pain before people get into the addiction? Um, you know, because many, many people can use drugs and not wind up how I wound up, you know, kind of like what Lisa's saying, right? Like her ex-boyfriend, you know, he, he experimented and, and used and partied, but he didn't end up as a full-on addict. Um, you know, the difference between him and me might have to be, have to do with our upbringing. And, and the fact that as I started going kind of off the rails, every adult that I came in contact with was about punishing me and controlling me and putting me in a, a little room or whatever, but nobody was like, Hey kid, you're going off the rails. Like instead of putting you on probation, maybe we'll like give you some counseling sessions, or maybe we will like talk to you about what's going on in your life beyond your behavioral issues at school where you're acting out. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, and they just don't do it. Nope. Nope. Fair enough. Eh? Well, they um, have, they have school counselors, but they're there to help you determine what job you're going to be. They're not yeah. there to actually, you know, <clears throat> Uh, counsel see what yeah yeah so i mean that's more of a career counselor than it is a a, a counselor and i think For we sure. need more people there to you know if, if if you see a kid acting out you know they go see the counselor and it's not to determine what college you want to go to and it's not to determine where you want to end up in life it's it's to determine what is wrong Right? It'll yeah. make them better students in turn, will make them better workers. And for the capitalist conservatives out there, they become taxpayers. That is <laughs> government <laughs> revenue. Right. That right. is your goal, right? Like you mm -hmm. want more money, make people healthy and happy. They're going to work harder for the things that they want to achieve, well, which it, in turn is going to provide income to the government. So, I mean, for sure. Lisa spoke to this um, a yeah. few episodes ago as well. The one to six ratio, right? If you remember this. Um, Every dollar that's put into treatment is given is is seen back six times in society, right? So the math is good, right? And and, and apparently this study's been um, repeated multiple places across the world, and it's just, the results are consistent. Um, again, I hate to bastardize something that she said that she said so eloquently at the time, but it very true, very true. It, it, or if that is true, I, I should say that is something we need to really seriously look at. And, and we don't because of four-year election cycles and, you know, nobody's saying, and optics. It really comes down to optics, right? Nobody wants to be the politician that, that gets shunned for saying something that, you know, be it true or not, doesn't sound like what the people want to hear, right? So. Well, I would be very interested in what the definition of treatment is in that, because like I say, treatment is a continuum, right? And yeah. um, it, it can, you know, you can, if you intervene early, it'll take a lot less investment than having yep. to house someone long term right. in like you know i went to treatment for six months in a sober house for four months after that and you know as devin is is prone to talking about like what the government paid for me was not very much to those places no. but mm -hmm. it was still like thousands of dollars whereas when i was in school um you know i'm an honor roll student um mm -hmm. and next thing you know i'm like skipping classes and showing up drunk and high and all the kind of shit that we do and when I got talked to by an adult, it was to it was to give me shit and suspend me and send me home. It wasn't to say, hey, man, like, this is a pretty big shift away from, like, honors algebra to, like, coming in smelling like weed and skipping class. Like, 
what, where is that disconnect? Like what is happening? Right. Nobody yeah, ever did right. that. You know, yeah. so um, much better to ask what's happening prevented. than what happened, you know, right. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. 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 What's well, uh, an ounce of treatment is a, is a pound or an ounce of prevention is a, how's it pound called? Somebody help me out here. Yeah, there we go. Pound of cure. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. yeah, yeah. I figured you'd both be better at that than I am. <laughs> anyway. yeah. do you want to spend $10,000 on providing treatment to somebody or do you want to collect $10,000 in income tax from their paycheck? Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, sorry. Just come on. Sorry. Just get your shit together, people. <laughs> it sure well, feels but, that way sometimes, right? But ahead, the Mike. thing that you can't get away from in that is is the moral model in like, you know, like, People just look down on drug addicts and think like, I don't want my tax dollars going to those people, you know, to that stuff. And, you know, yeah. <clears throat> they want to punish think they people. they are when they go to jail, you know, right? Like, well, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, but yeah. that, but the politicians don't fire that up as the thing to get people like super angry and, you know, get to the polls and vote for them and everything. They don't go, hey, do you know that um, actually treatment would allow us to do less policing. And if we paid for them to get clean, you wouldn't have them in the courts and probation and jails and et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. Or in the, the or emergency in the room, emergency. waiting room. Yeah, was, exactly. I was going to say the emergency yeah. room where, where you go in and complain about your healthcare because you're waiting and it's because there's such a drag on it. And some of it is because these people um, that aren't well end up harming themselves in some way, you know, through, through, you know, misadventure or whatever it is. Um, and end up in emergency rooms or, or whether it's psychiatric needs or whatever, like that could ease every aspect of our legal and, and medical system. But people go, yeah, but I don't want my money going to that. Yeah. It's and crazy, it's, right? It's crazy. You know, their perception, well, but they're, yeah. but they're fired up about it. You know, like that's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. They get, they get wound up and pointed at, you know, um, the people, the, the sort of, um, predator class of rich people love nothing more than pointing working class people at the underprivileged people or people that are struggling. Right. And so like, yep. you know, like, Oh, those are the problem down there. Well, you're like, <laughs> well, your tax breaks for your company are equal to like 200 treatment beds, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not yeah. really, but they don't want you to know that. Now, shit, we're, right? now we're getting into some delicate territory. Eh? Yeah. Sorry. We could be going Told on the capitalist thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey man. For clarity. I am a right wing guy, so right? yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Sorry. I like to think that I'm a little more um, open minded, say, than than a lot of people on my side of the aisle, right? But you know, right? <laughs> I think we're the new conservative, Chuck. Fair it's enough. The, right? It's the ones I mean, that want to be, you know, they we're we want our money to be spent responsibly, and we want our values, um, whether that be, you know, your religious values or your personal values, we want those to be foremost in our life. And, and we want to take care of our families and, and we want people to, you know, live and let live. Um, mm. but at the same time, we're not about handouts and, and I don't think providing treatment to somebody is a handout. I think hand that's up. a hand up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And, I, I would argue that prison is a handout. Absolutely, right? I, I, it is. Right? You know what it's I mean? A, in, those, in those circumstances anyway, right? You know, yeah. it's, uh, you We're know. just going to hide these people away for a few years. Uh, <laughs> now they're not our problem. And then when they get out, they're usually a, mm -hmm. a bigger issue. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's not rehabilitating anyone. You know, like, no. I'm, 
I'm definitely not a conservative, much more liberal, but I'm also a business owner. And I think that you can do that ethically. And I think that I want, I also want my tax dollars spent in ways that help people um, that need it more than help people who already have it. You know what I mean? Like that's just, yeah. if yeah. everyone pays their fair share and you help the, you know, it's that whole thing, like a measure of a society is how it treats its least fortunate people. Right. And I think yes. that yeah. um, if, if we're all good, then we're all good. Right. Yeah. Like it's just a better yeah. way to live. I like that. If we yeah. take care of those people who live in tent cities, then guess what? I don't have to look at a tent city. Everyone wins. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. Right. Like, I don't understand how that's like a big sticking point for people, you know, like. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to take a quick break for a um, PSA. And we'll be right back after this. And now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. Hi listeners, this is Lena. I'm part of the Ashes to Awesome team and co-hosted on episodes 76 and 67. Do you carry Narcan, also known as Naloxone? If not, perhaps you should. The kits are not only compact and easy to use, they are free at all harm reduction centers and a lot of pharmacies. By carrying one of these kits, you could save the life of somebody who loves and that is loved. I get that most of you never plan on being around opioid use, but there's no telling when it could be around you. I can't think of a good reason not to have it. And if you're not sure where to find it for free, send us an email at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com legwork for you and find it for free in your area. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So, on to next year. Um, we're at the forty-five minute break. Our line, so so we're getting there. This see, this harm reduction. We could realistically, we could do the weekend ramble on harm reduction every single week because there's so much to cover and so much and different opinions, and different and all the things. And I, I think it's probably going to become definitely a reoccurring theme. Well, I know it is. For me, like I want to say one thing. I have opinions, and I've worked mm -hmm. in this field for a long time. But I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, think that I have the answer. Um, what I do know is that. Um, as Carl said, it's one size fits all is never going to work. It just isn't. And so when we're talking about leveraging people into treatment or whatever, it should, if you were going to get, um, a, what would it be like a lung transplant, right? Yeah. So you get assessed by a doctor and they go, yeah, man, like you need a lung transplant. And then you would, before you went in for the actual, uh, operation, they would say, have you been smoking lately? And if you said yes, they'd be like, you're not eligible anymore. Like you're out, yeah. you know, because we're not going to waste a healthy lung. Not that you're not worth a lung, but we're not going to just basically throw one away when there's tons of people that need it. So when we're leveraging people into treatment, I think it has to be assessed. Like, look, if we put you in treatment, what are you going to do there? Like, yeah. are, are, are we just going to put you there and you're going to be resistant? You're going to disrupt the community so other people trying to recover also have a harder time it's you know there's a there's a bit of a saying in treatment um 10 of the clients give you 90 of the work right like you get the compliant clients and the people that come in and then you get the resistant and defiant ones and to me that's based in trauma like the reason that they're doing it is because they don't feel safe mm -hmm. and they don't feel safe to do all the stuff that's in treatment um but we're not then they get punished for having those symptoms instead of having those symptoms actually treated through the lens of trauma um you just so said you something like that i want to unpack for a second and it, it's really um not that i mean to cut off your point i think you're making no, a very good point however 
and this is something specific to you. You just said that's based in trauma to you. That's based in trauma. Do you find because of your work that everything is based in trauma? And I don't mean to minimize um, what you're saying at all. I no, mean, no, do, no. You, do you find that you, that you manage to pull that out of situations or, or that you see what other people might not because of your work? This may be a better way to put well, that. It's more like it's the conclusion that I came to after working in treatment for a long time. So there was okay. always, there's almost always someone in a group therapy situation who would be called something like a passenger um, where they don't really wade into discussions. They don't offer up parts of themselves for discussion. They don't get vulnerable. And then a lot of times what happens is the counseling teams will be like, that person's not invested in treatment. They're defiant, they're resistant, they're this. And I would suggest that, um, what I know about clients and I just have had this reaffirmed from clients is that they don't feel safe enough in a group full of people they don't know to just really get vulnerable and let their guard down because their whole life they've had to be guarded against that kind of stuff. Um, most people like this is again, the moral model versus like, I don't meet people in treatment who are bad people. Like, no, I don't, you know, I ask people when they come in and I say like, do you feel bad about how you acted in their addiction? And like everybody goes, oh yeah, man, shame, guilt, remorse. Like I, I acted terribly. It's like, okay, well then clearly you're not a bad person. Yeah. And then why aren't you engaging? Well, it's because you don't feel safe enough. And then when you don't feel safe enough, you then have compensatory behaviors, which are things like shutting down, using anger to, to push people away, like whatever it might be. And it looks behaviorally like they're disruptive, but they're just not in the right room with the right people at the right time there it's it's um you know it's that it, again treatment does the same thing one size fits all they'll say oh we do individualized treatment plans and then you go in and everyone's in group at this time and everyone does this at this time which is a great way to kind of maximize uh clinical hours if i sit in a room with 10 people in group you're getting 10 clinical hours out of me in one hour of my time right so you, yeah so each client feels like they got an hour of treatment but they don't Right. Um, and I'm not saying group therapy is bad. I'm not saying that it's just not appropriate for everyone. Just like none of this is appropriate for everyone. My center isn't appropriate for everyone. Um, you know, it's like you really need to assess and, and get people to the right place to meet the needs uh, and the level of care that is appropriate for them. You need to meet people where they are. For yes. sure. It yeah, should all be right. client centered. Yeah. Like if it's, yeah. if it's client centered, we should ask someone, that we're going to mandate into treatment. Do you even want to be clean? Because you can't mm -hmm. make someone be clean that doesn't want to be clean. Like you mm -hmm. can put them in treatment and house them for a month or two months or however long it is. And then they're just going to go out and use. It's like, okay, did we, and what, what the rationale will be a lot of times is, well, we planted the seed. It's like, they know that people stop using drugs. Like they know that that's not like <laughs> what you're doing is you're recharging them to go out and go on another run. And I'm not suggesting that you just let them keep going, but instead of like, you know, you use motivational interviewing. Well, if you're not into getting clean, how can we help you to become interested in doing something to, to get us like from, you know, train wreck 10 out of 10 to like train wreck eight out of 10, you know what I mean? Like how do we yeah. get you motivated to be a little bit healthier than you are right now and make some changes that, and then, then you get them into treatment. Eventually this is, it happens in supervised injection sites where people that's their first introduction to sometimes like addictions workers and social workers and that kind of stuff. And eventually they go like, Hey man, like, can you, can you help me get into treatment when they. And, and, and here's the one thing about harm reduction, Mike, it, it, at, at least in the very, very least, no matter what your mindset is about it all is you're putting people in touch with people that care. 
right? Yeah. It, it, well, at least that there's a connection dead. there, right? Yeah. Right. And yes, yeah. right. There's a connection happening at any point yeah. in any sort of harm reduction. There's a connection happening, and we can all agree about how important connection is, you know, in, in its relation to addiction, and you know, or not. Well, you know, if if people think about it, if anyone who doesn't have a, a relationship with addiction thinks about hmm. any time in their life when they've thought something like this. Oh, you know, like I got a bit of weight on here. I should probably change my diet and start exercising. Like the next day, do they just like 180 flip everything around? Probably not, right? No, there's First a, there's thing a, there's is like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you get, you know, it's like the stages of change thing, right? Like you, you, um, start becoming contemplative where you're like, yeah, maybe I could probably do that. And, th and then, you know, you, you start moving more towards change through the different stages. Looking at a and gym eventually, or looking at your diet and, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Eventually. Or maybe like, you, you take like the Coca-Cola out and you put in like Coke zero or you take the, all the prepackaged food out and you put something else in. And then, yeah, then maybe I start going for walks and to get, and then after the walks, maybe then I'm in the gym and it can be a progression until the point where you're like a machine that's like, you know, doing hundred K runs and, and eating all raw food or whatever it is. Um, but it, <laughs> and then he but, said hundred K long runs. So they all laughed and yeah. laughed. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you don't go, you don't go from the sofa scarfing back pizzas and drinking two liters of Coke to that guy. You know what I mean? Like no, that's just not a realistic, but that's what we're asking people to do in addiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I do want to talk about. And it's uh it's a sensitive one for me today, but um, the connection thing. So I, I lost another friend yesterday, or a few days ago, I should say. I, I found out about yesterday morning, two overdose, right? And the thing is, is I, I come across this news once every week or two. And it's, I'm, I'm not happy to say that I become pretty accepting of it, right? And I, I won't use the word apathy, but maybe leaning in that direction. This particular friend, I was I was cruel to him. I'm sorry. I was I was mean to him the last three times I saw him. And you know, at the time I felt it was justified. It doesn't matter though. It doesn't, you know. And when I say that monologue, and I'll say it at the end of this episode as well, you know, and let people know you know, that they're loved to use the words they're loved. It's so important, you know. It is so important to do that and to, mm. and to let people know that you care because it just, mm, that's, it, for me, the, um, the lack of love or perceived lack of love or not feeling lovable was the boot on my neck for, for my last arguably two years in active addiction. And if we can just do better, you know, at that connecting and, and just letting people know, and, and there's a couple points I'm making here, I guess, but in this day and age with fentanyl on the scene, people die more suddenly, more often than ever before. And you will never get to take those words back. Right. So choose them carefully, right. Choose them very carefully. You know, I'm really sorry to hear about your friend and, um, I think it's, uh, you know, I can very much relate to like, not the apathy thing, but it's almost like, I'm not surprised, but I'm not shocked anymore when anyone that's using drugs, I find out that they, they pass away, um, which, 
you get a bit sort of like you build up a callus on your heart towards it because it's just happened so much and it's really sad. And I'm not even in Canada. And the, the, you know, we talked about this the last time I was on. I don't experience a lot of it here, but all my friends back home, I, you know, I through social media, I hear about it. But you, you know, the other thing I would say, day, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing I would say, Chuck, is it's really easy to beat yourself up at, you know, looking at things in retrospect. Um, but, you know, as far as like put that in this context of, of harm reduction is like the the caring words and the love and all that, that's harm reduction. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah, have to be yep. a supervised injection site. It's like that person mm -hmm. is like, oh, maybe there's like something, someone gives a shit, right? Yeah. So it, right. it doesn't have to be these formalized like drug delivery systems for it to be harm reduction. It's like we can act compassionately towards people. Like I said, it can be foot baths or a sandwich or, or whatever it might be. And it can just be kind words, right? So, yeah. um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it, I think what it speaks to is addiction comes with a lot of really fit behaviors that can be incredibly frustrating. And then, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that can lead into us getting sick and tired of it and all that. And I get that. Like we, we can get compassion fatigue, right? It's like, I've had enough of the shit behaviors. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I think that um, getting it away from that, because again, that's back sort of into the moral model stuff and getting it into the like, rephrasing it in my head, like you're not a bad person, you're trying to get good, you're an unwell person trying to get well kind of thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really sad. I'm really sad to, to hear about your friend and I can see that it really hits you home or hits home for you, sorry. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I wish Thank that you. could end. Yeah, me too, me too. Carl, you were uh, you were going to say something there? Um, that's the love model that he was talking about. Is that connection? <laughs> it's that being kind. It's uh, you know, addressing immediate risks associated with the certain behavior, um, and you know, fostering trust, improving engagement with that person. And in turn, hopefully increasing the likelihood that they'll seek treatment. Um, as, yeah. as Mike said earlier, you can't force somebody to want to be clean, but maybe, you know, maybe you can at least increase the likelihood that they'll want to. Um, and, and, and just by making that connection with people and just uh, loving them. I mean, yeah. that's what it yeah. comes down to. Yeah. And I think that what happens is, in my experience, um, it's so much more impactful for the person that you're doing it to. And I'll give you a quick little anecdote. Um, I knew a guy that struggled with in and out and in and out of addiction. Um, and he told me this story. I didn't remember it. I ran into him in downtown Vancouver and he was really loaded and he asked me for money. And I said, I'm not going to give you money, but I'll buy you McDonald's. And he tells me, he goes, everyone else would just like give me the money to get the McDonald's and go away or, or buy the McDonald's and then just leave. And he said, you sat with me while I ate it. And I said, I had no idea that I did that. Like I didn't remember it, but to him, it was this really impactful thing where it's like, I treated him like any other human being, because if one of you guys was hungry and I was like, Hey Chuck, how are you doing? And you're like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'm like, Oh, let's get McDonald's. I would sit with you while you ate that meal. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. out of like, connection to you and respect and courtesy but with addiction we don't do that shit we go like oh get out of here get out. you know i think i'm being the, some the, like the, the more kind of us actually give something and then walk away but what you're saying yeah that's that's profound and and, and if you're listening think about that really think about yeah. that and, and what that and, connection could mean to, to an individual 
And, and I'm not right, trying to set myself up as being super kind or anything like that. I'm just like, because I didn't remember it. Like, and to this, to this I day, I don't said remember. I didn't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's some humility there, Mike. That's, that's admirable. <laughs> but I, but I do think that's the thing, right? Oh, is that go ahead, Carl. it's an yeah. important thing for him. I, I was just going to say that I believe um, it's, it's kind of like, I believe it was your, your mom, right? Norma. Uh, when yeah. she was down in San Francisco or something, she was talking about they had extra sandwiches or something, and she went down and to, to give sandwiches to these to these guys. But she didn't just say, "Here's a sandwich," and then bugger off. She stopped, gave him the sandwich, and talked to him. And you know that that connection. Who knows where that guy is now? Um, but maybe that little bit of conversation and the food. Uh, probably did more for him than just, you know, throwing a sandwich at him and running to your cap. And most um, certainly more than a couple of bucks, right? Because we all know where that goes, right? You know? For yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. uh, and, well said. and well you said. know, I, I've, I've, I've done that. Like I've been downtown on the C train and, you know, people have asked me and, and uh, I've gone into the Seven Eleven or the Max or whatever it was and, and, and bought them, you know, a sandwich. And then I gave them the sandwich and I got on the train and I left. Um, but I've also, you know, had homeless or unhoused, underhoused under people uh, come up and ask me for money and, and say, you know, um, hey, do you got two bucks? I'm trying to, you know, get beer. Hmm. And I've given them the two bucks because, I mean, at least they were honest with me. You know, they're not like, hey, do you have a couple bucks? I'm trying to get my daughter onto a bus to go see her mother. I mean, <laughs> I know you're not. Every, literally every version not, of that story. Right? But, right. You know, yeah, if you're yeah. honest with me... Yeah. Uh, you know, actually just recently within the last, I'd say six months, I stopped at the liquor store on my way home one day, I was grabbing a case of beer. There was a guy that, uh, you know, he looked a little disheveled and he was with a, a woman and they were, they were panhandling and he said he wanted to, needed a couple bucks to get some beer. And, you know, I, I just bought him an eight pack. Yeah. And then I also, uh, because he was indigenous, I also gave him some sweet grass and some sage and told him to, you know, have a smudge and let him know the creator loves him and, uh, mm. uh you know, wished him well, um, mm -hmm. asked if he needed anything else, if he needed food or anything. And, uh, he said he was hungry. So I gave him whatever was left in my lunchbox. Cause I always bring more food than I need. And yeah, I imagine they went to a park, drank their beer, ate their food and, and passed out under the stars. And, you know, I hope they're doing well. Um, I haven't seen them around town since. So who knows? Yeah. yeah, who knows? What you did was you, you relieved some of their pain for that day anyway, right? Like, and, and you know, that's what it was about. Yeah. Because I, I could see it in their faces, you know. Yeah, like, I work nights, right? So I make it to the liquor store if I want a case of beer. Like, it closes at 2 a.m. and I get back to Airdrie at like 10 to 2. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was late and, you know, it wasn't that warm out, but, you know. It, it was more than just, here's the beer. There was a conversation. There was, uh, you know, I gave them some medicine for some smudging in that because they were indigenous and I hope they appreciated that. Uh, they, they seemed to, when I gave him the sage and the sweet grass, he was like beside himself that I had it right. Because I don't, I don't present very indigenous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's about making that connection and hopefully, you know, hopefully they knew that there is somebody out there that does feel for them, feels their pain and, and understood that, you know, I'm not going to tell him to piss off. He's standing outside of a liquor store five minutes before close, you know, he's a couple bucks short. I bet you the guy in the store probably would have let him go. 
with mm-hmm. a, you know, short a few bucks even. So. All right. Well, guys, um, like I said, we could go on about this for, for ages. Um, um, we're not going to go, uh, there's always next weekend. And, and Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the show. My it's pleasure. time for Daily Gratitudes. And guess who they're brought to you by, Mike? <laughs> Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Yacha Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. And they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yachtracenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And now here's your daily gratitudes. Absolutely right. And, and Mike, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for your sponsorship. So, Carl, you got a couple for me? Daily gratitudes, that is. I am grateful for my family. Mm. Um, my entire family, not just my personal family. I say, you know, my mom's, my dad's grandparents that are surviving, um, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone, everyone. I love you all. Um, he's got a huge family, Mike, huge family, huge (laughs) family. Um, I noticed by the mom's dad's, like the plurals. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some fantastic people there. Yeah, there really is. I've uh, I've, I've known a lot of them over the years in their own way. Um, well, except that one, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I am also grateful for Chuck. Um, even though he's had so many issues with his laptop dying and having to buy a new computer <laughs> and he's still persevering. He's upset that he missed four episodes last week, but you know, you know what? He got two out under those conditions. If you have, if you've ever had a laptop shut down on you because the video card overheats, you know that you're not coming back from that. Um, but he's persevered. He's got episodes coming out anyway. So, you know, stay tuned, people. We're, you know, we're we're trying our best out here. We're low budget, but uh, I think we're high quality content. So, ah. and. My final gratitude is going to be for Mike for joining us this week. Uh, you know, it's great putting a face to the name. Um, I really enjoyed your episode. I love what you do out in Phuket. And uh, yeah, keep keep doing what you do, man. Awesome. Beautiful. Mike, you. you got a couple for us? Um, yeah. And uh, first off, grateful to be uh associated with the podcast and, and to be asked back as a guest, you know, um, I know I can just like go on and on. So it's nice to have someone that can kind of tolerate that, I guess, um, give me a platform for my rambling. Um, it's called the ramble, you know, um, but no, oh, it's touche. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's right up my alley. Um, no, but it's, it is, uh, an honor to be part of it and just you know if anyone can get the message or if we can just give someone something to think about or talk about like that's cool to me to be a part of that um and this might sound counterintuitive i'm kind of glad that your laptop went down um because it gave you a few days of not like 16 hours a day six days a week like you know because like so you can do some self-care stuff right because like we need you sitting in that seat so um you know that like i say it might sound counterintuitive because the the uh material didn't come out, the content didn't come out, but you know, you, you got to take care of you too and give yourself some time to kind of live your life. And, um, yeah, anyway, so for what that's worth. And then my last <laughs> one is, um, I'm super grateful for, um, my wife and everything that she brings to, um, our relationship. You know, we, we are married and we work together and, um, 
her willingness to kind of uh, work on like personal growth and professional growth and like everything she gives to our clients and everything she gives to our staff and everything she puts up with and gives to me. Um, it's inspiring every day. And um, she just got, we just got approved for a visa for her. So we're coming to Canada in August and uh, oh. your first time because she's Thai um, yeah. and she's never yeah. been to Canada. So we're going to go and see some whales and some snow and like all kinds of stuff that, we don't in get August, to do here. So. You, you, okay, how long have you been gone from Canada, Mike? <laughs> Snowy long. Well, we'll go to the we'll go to the we'll go to the glacier. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Or, or, yeah, I mean, I'll agree. Yeah. Some, sometimes yeah. we get snow in August. That's true. <laughs> we're gonna come to Banff. We're gonna come to Banff. So, um, are you really? Maybe we'll stop by. Yeah. Well, let's uh, definitely have a conversation about that, right? So I'm, I'm sure I could get somebody, uh, Carl, to you know help me get up to Banff and make a visit. So, you know, mm-hmm. well, now that Carl and I yeah. are like. Dear friends, then you, that you can are probably... alumni now together in this, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Chuck <laughs> wants to use my pass to get into the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, um, and for myself, I, I'm very grateful to both of you for coming on. Um, uh, you know, happy to have you back, Carl. To be honest with you, it's uh, I've missed you for the last 82 weeks or whatever that you've been gone for. Three, and three weeks. Or or sixty, whatever. Right? Yeah, Let's yeah. be compromising, right? Yeah, so, yeah. anyway, <laughs> and of course, Mike, you are you're a great guest, and you're welcome back on the show anytime. Don't doubt that you will be invited back. I will. Uh, I won't take for granted that you accept. <laughs> you can. Um, I will. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, Just pick a better shirt next and, time, Mike. <laughs> and, and the final gratitude goes out, as always, to you, the listeners. You guys, you're killing it out there for us. You're doing great things. I, I know it's summer, and not as many of you are tuning in as, as you know you would in the off, on the on season, if we're going to call it that. So, uh, those of you that still are, I do appreciate it very, very much. And uh, you know, keep liking, keep sharing. If you're on Spotify, hey, now you can watch us on video, or you can listen to the audio. If you're not listening on Spotify, you can watch a video on YouTube and listen to us on all the normal platforms. And, uh, it, and again, if you're in Spotify, throw a comment out there, throw whatever you got to do. We do appreciate every single time that you do those things. And of course, if you're on Apple, the likes are the, uh, the reviews and, and uh, ratings help us as well. Every time you do any of these things, you are helping me get a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a living spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong yatra. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, do whatever the hell it is you need to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction, you've just taken the time to listen to our ramble. If you just take one more minute out of your day, text that person, let them know they're loved. Use the words, you are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back. I'm the monster with a mind altered. Drugs and frustration created this isolation that others find selfish. Had to cope with some shit that could kill, hit the all switch. Had to do a mind shit to get through the time stretch. Seems like bad days last and the good days fly quick. This monster in my thoughts taunts me till I'm sick. Takes over reality. Can you feel the insanity? Body shaking like my thoughts are causing allergies. Truth and fiction can't seem to tell the difference. Anyone out there relate to me? My only one tripping. Left wishing I could be the normal. One in a room, anxiety got me twitching through the monster in the distance. Gotta get busy, can't let this shit affect me. When no one left to protect, who's gonna protect me? Feels like shit's getting messy. Now that the mind.
monsters taking over, I think it's the only one that gets me, yeah. Met the monster in my storm Did I let him stay too long? Cause he don't wanna leave Till everybody's gone Pushed away the ones that I need It's messed up cause inside it's not who I wanna be Think one thing and do another React to the emotion that wants me to suffer Sorry if I smother I suffocate my relationship like we undercover Wanna disconnect and run from the suburbs The old me wants to return Wants me to forget what I learned Had no way to turn with all the bridges burned Pain is what I know Hearts hard as stone Feel the shakes in my bones I'm turning cold Look at what I did You had my back from the beginning But I couldn't see it I was blinded by my feelings Selfish I guess me and the monster have a lot of common Look in the mirror See the reflection of the problem Yeah Yeah. 